Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Now when we look at Salah and the Prophet's relationship with Salah because we're now examining the Prophet and worship, we find that even in Sunni sources this is mentioned. So I'll quote for you a hadith from Sunni sources in which the Prophet would consider Salah the ultimate relief. For instance, when he would be in a state of distress, Salaamu Alaikum, when he would be in a state of sadness, the Prophet would say, Arahna biha ya Bilal. What does Arahna mean? Relieve us. With it, with what? What's the pronoun it here? Salah. Arahna biha ya Bilal. Oh Bilal. In essence, what was the Prophet asking him to do? You said it. The Adhan. When the Prophet felt depressed, he would tell Bilal, relieve us, O Bilal, relieve us. Call the Adhan so we get up and pray. When the tragedies would surround him, he would say, Arahna biha ya Bilal. When he would hear that someone passed away, Arahna biha ya Bilal. He really considered Salah the peak of his relief during his day. Can I say that about my Salah? That's how the Prophet would pray. And when the time for the Adhan would come, the Prophet would not know anyone around him. So this hadith is mentioned by Abu Zar al-Dimashqi in his, in his book At-Tariq. Basically he says, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ When the Prophet would hear the call to prayer, كَأَنَّهُ لَا يَعْرِفْ أَحَدًا مِنَ النَّاسِ It's as if he does not know anyone. Even some of the wives of the Prophet, they've confirmed this. We're sitting with the Prophet, we're having an enjoyable time. He seems so intimate with us. He's part of the discussion. He's leading maybe the discussion. We feel like he's an intimate friend. He knows us all and he gives us full attention. The minute he hears the Adhan, he gets up as if he doesn't know anyone around him. Subhanallah. That's how he interacted with Salah. Are we like that? Or if when our in our sahras, and it's continuing for hours and hours, no. The salah can wait, we're at a banquet, the salah can wait, we're at a dinner, the salah can wait. Not Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The minute the time for the adhan comes, that's it. He doesn't know anyone around him. Everyone turns into a stranger. I don't know you, you don't know me. I have now my salah. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. That's how he would treat salah and everyone knew that. In one hadith, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari describes to us how much the Prophet loved Salah. In this hadith, the Prophet tells Abu Dhar, Ya Abu Dhar, Allahu jalla thanauhu qurra fi salah Allah the Exalted, the High, He has made um, basically the light of my eyes, the Salah. I find comfort in Salah. And Allah made me love Salah just like one of you when you're hungry. In those moments of hunger. hunger. <laughs> Have you seen how you crave food? How you desire food and you love food? The Prophet says, just like a hungry person desires food and a thirsty person desires water, I desire Salah and I love my Salah. 
Then the Prophet says, but there's a difference between me and the hungry, thirsty person. The hungry person, when he eats, he gets full. The thirsty person, when you drink that big cup of water, you become full. But I never, never get enough of my salah. Nothing fulfills my desire for salah. I still want more. I still want to worship Allah more. So we find that the Prophet really took pride in being a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to know ibadah, you look at the Prophet And remember the Prophet brought the system of ibadah in a corrupt society that was based on idolatry. People worshipping idols, people had no sense of khushu'. It was just a folklore that they did. Bowing to the idols and then maybe mentioning the name of God. The Prophet, the prophet transformed the meaning of ibadah, the meaning of worship, what it means to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so we're really indebted to the Prophet for being the perfect human being who did sujood to the Almighty God. And, and that is a source of greatness for the Prophet. When you think of Rasulullah, remember his ibadah side. I think too often we forget that. Yes. Like Nabi Yusuf and the Prophets before, how come God didn't put wajib salah that for them, you know, so people could follow? They may have had wajib obligations on them, sure. Possibly that something specifically Allah required them to do. That's very possible. When Prophet Muhammad came, that's when Salah started, right? No, no, Salah existed, but in just slightly different form. Remember, uh, the, the Jews before Islam, they would pray three times a day. Dawn, afternoon, and sunset. They would pray even until today. The religious committed Jews, they pray during these times. No, Salah did exist, but the full Salah that we have, you know, the way we have the Ruku', the way we recite the Quran and Dhikr, this is unique to Islam. But salah in other more basic forms existed, definitely. Islam came and broadened the salah and, and added many dimensions to it, such that the hadith, one hadith states, salah has 4,000 limits and conditions. If you want to observe the wajib and the mustahab, it's 4,000 details of salah. That's how the Prophet prayed. Yeah, this did not exist before Islam. This is something unique that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to this ummah. But salah at a basic form, all prophets. Prophet Isa says, وَأَوْسَانِي بِالصَّلَاةِ Allah told me to pray. Prophet Isa was an excessive prayer, prayee, well, the person who prays, musalli. He, was an ex he engaged in excessive ibadah. In fact, most of the time he was praying. And that's why Imam al-Rida in that debate with the Jathaliq, the leader of the Christians, he made this point. In that debate, the Jathaliq came, you know, the Ma'moon wanted this debate to happen. Bani al-Abbas wanted Imam al-Rada to be embarrassed by bringing all these top scholars. They're like, well, if he's surrounded with scholars, he'll eventually give in. So in the midst of the debate with the leader of the Christians, his name was the Jathaliq, his title, you know, like an archbishop or whatever. Imam al-Rada told him, we love everything about Jesus except one thing. We have one criticism of Jesus. The Jathaliq, he couldn't believe what Imam al-Rada was saying. You know, he was like sitting calm, you know, and he suddenly started to stiffen his back. What? 
You Muslims have a criticism of Jesus? What is it? He told him, yeah. Everything was good about him. He was very low in worship. Very little in worship. He barely worshipped. He got upset, then he laughed. He said, I really had respect for you. I thought you were really a scholar that I'm debating. I had heard about ar-rada, ar-rada, ar-rada. Now, you know, he basically told the Imam, you're ignorant. The Imam says, why am I ignorant? He says, no man in history at that time prayed and did ibadah more than Jesus. The Imam says, are you sure about that? He said, yes. The Imam asked him, who was he praying to? <laughs> The hadith says the Jathaliq just got shattered. He did not expect that coming. He lowered his head to the ground. He did not raise it until the debate was over. You don't know what to say. Because he had come trying to prove Jesus is God. Imam Radha, what, 30 seconds? He just disrupted his whole uh, process of thinking. <laughs> Subhanallah, only the Imams of Ahl al-Bayt can pull that off. <laughs> Subhanallah. So yes, all the prophets of Allah. They engaged in excessive, you know, uh, ibadah. Prophet Adam alayhi salam, 200 years he wept in ibadah until Allah told him, Khalas, any bad effect from approaching that tree, I've removed it. I've forgiven you. All the prophets of Allah. Prophet Yahya alayhi salam, he'd cry so much in ibadah such that the hadith says, you know, the tears are salty, right? And that affects the skin. He would cry so constantly and incessantly such that there were valleys, as the hadith says symbolically, on his cheek. That means the, the dumur, the tears had made an engravement on his cheek. Can you imagine? That's Prophet Yahya To the point, to the point where his mother or the people, the companions of Zakaria, his father, Sometimes he would give a speech. He's sitting in a circle, he's giving a speech. And he's talking about the day of judgment and heaven and hell. They would come and they would beg him. They, told, they tell him, your son is around here. Please don't give this sermon. Because if you say this sermon, your son's not going to stop until he falls unconscious. This was Yahya alayhi When he was a young yani, boy, when he would hear the maw'idha, he'd cry, 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 until he would lose it. That's how the, see, Allah chose them for a reason. They were at the peak, peak of ibadah. And so, one amazing legacy of Prophet Muhammad that we honor and we cherish and we learn from is his commitment to the ibadah. And there's so much more to discuss, but inshallah we, you know, will leave it at that in terms of ibadah. Inshallah in our subsequent classes, we'll explore other dimensions of his personality.